This is the Merrickville Catch-Up Podcast. Make sure you never miss a thing. Download the Merrickville Catch-Up from the Triple M app. Where am I? Welcome to Merrickville. Well, Sydney, there's a lot of talk about a transgender AFL player being banned. Her name's Hannah. Should she be allowed to play? We're going to be asking you. We're going to be speaking to her coach, Chris Rourke, later on this hour. We're also going to be talking about schnitzels because tonight's schnitzel night in the Watts household, so we're just going to talk about that. What? It's not very good radio. Not my problem. <laughs> but welcome to the studios, Justin Hamilton. Great mm. to have you back, Hammer. How's your day panning out, Tiger? Yeah, you know what? Like, that is the first time I've laughed today. I think I... we better drop the music for this. Oh, yeah. I am full of the fury this morning. Oh, really? <laughs> well, as you know, I'm a big uh, fan of the NBA, and the NBA started again uh, two games, two games that I just wanted... I was pretty busy. I just wanted to watch a little bit. Just watch a little bit of the start of the Cleveland game against Boston. Watch a little bit of the Golden State versus Houston game. Anyway, cool. I've got a subscription. It's like about 300 bucks for you to be able to watch every game. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Go to watch it on my computer. It's telling me, oh, you can't use Safari unless you enable cookies. And I said, well, that's great, but I'm on Google Chrome. So, uh, so I just restart everything because sometimes these things get a bit confused and then it tells me I can't use it because, uh, Safari uses cookies. So I, I open up Safari and try to click that and then Safari's telling me, oh no, we can't load. So I think, well, you know what? I'll put it on my phone and I'll cast it. I'll cast it to my TV. So I get it on there. I cast it to the TV. It keeps dropping out. It keeps dropping out. So I go back to my computer. I try to use the Google Chrome. I restart it. It tells me I've got to use cookies. (laughs) By this stage, I'm starting to get a little bit upset. And then I remember, oh, I've got Apple TV. I've got Apple TV. You know what I'll do? I'll put it on Apple TV and I'll watch it because I don't even want to watch all of it. I'm a pretty busy guy. I've got stuff to do. So anyway, so I put it on Apple TV and it's loading, loading, loading. It's taking ages to load. So I turn it off. I turn it back on. Anyway, I'm missing heaps of the game. Turns out lots of things are happening. Isn't that great? I'm missing all the little things that I could have watched very briefly. Anyway, let me put it this way. It got to a point where I walked out onto my balcony and I hurled my little Apple TV device across Elizabeth Street. So if you're somewhere in Surrey Hills and you find a little Apple TV, a little component that looks like it might still work, feel free to have it because I don't need it anymore. You threw your yeah. Apple device yeah. off the balcony, which, of course, is incredibly dangerous. I, I need to point out I knew exactly the building I was throwing it at. And <laughs> secondly, if there's any police listening, how funny are comedians yeah, with their just, stories just that they make up? But what's incredible about this story, Hammer, is yes. that you've got NBA download rage today. Not yep. the first time I've heard that story today. Oh, really? No, I spoke to a young kid in Ethiopia today. He's nine yep. years of age. <laughs> yep. And he was had exactly the same issues. I was like, oh, God. You know what the weird thing is? I, thought, I will never hear that again, Mabubu. Not a chance. No yep. one is going to do that again. <laughs> Bang. That's, oh, I don't know. Well, that's it's his, it's his – anyway. That's my son. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it runs in I the said, family. I'll never hear that again today. And he goes, not likely. Yeah. And he goes, who else is going to have those massive first world problems? <laughs> Bang. Hamo walks in. Same issue. I don't have a problem with having first world problems because I live in the first no. world. Do you oh, know what also, I mean? Also, did you have a problem with clean drinking water today as well? Look, that was going to be my second break. <laughs> Hamo, it's uh, Wednesday, mm. and that's uh, schnitzel night in the Watts household. Is it, now, how long has this tradition been going on? A few years now. Yep. I'm a big fan of the schnitzel. Yep. I do like them. And if What you about Georgie? Uh, she's of, of me or of the schnitzel? <laughs> well, of both. Both. or of my schnitzel. <laughs> oh, g'day, folks. Oh, 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 don't put crumbs on that. Don't, don't dip that in here. Mate, do not fry that. <laughs> oh, don't. 
don't. I mean, maybe dip an egg, maybe put, right. maybe we... roll in flour a little bit. But <laughs> well, that's I mean, just you know to help find it. Yeah, I just realised that my wife and her father are listening to the show with my children uh, as we speak. It's just happy okay. Schnitzel Day. Yeah, happy Schnitzel Day. G'day, ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Poor Georgie. <laughs> People listen. Uh, so schnitzel recipe, here's what yeah. I do. This Greek woman in uh, Newtown told me this uh, when I was living there in the late 90s. Uh, she worked at a deli and she, mm. I said, I'm going to make schnitzels. And she said, oh, how do you, how do you crumb them? I said, oh, you know, just put them in a bit of flour, whack them in a bit of egg and then put the crumbs on it. Mm. And she goes, no, 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 no. Try this. And she told me, she said, you get uh, a little portion of flour and a portion of your breadcrumbs, mix mm. them together there. Mm. Yeah. Put a little bit of nutmeg in it. Just a little bit of ground nutmeg. Oh. Put a little bit of that in there. A little bit of paprika if you like it. Oh. Right. Then here's the thing. Finely ground parmesan cheese and a big chunk of it. A lot of it. Really, really fine. Oh. And you put that all into one bowl. Just yes. one bowl. Yeah. Then you dip your chicken into the, into the egg. Right. And then roll it in that. Bang! That is the best schnitzel I have ever had in my life. I am a big fan of adding cheese to anything, oh. uh, mainly food, but uh, I'm willing to experiment. And <laughs> that sounds delicious. Like that almost mm. sounds so delicious that I wouldn't worry about the chicken. Yeah, and you're because you're a bit vego. I'm a bit vego. I'm 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 pretty much vego. Yeah, yeah. You've converted. You've but gone I, to the dark but side. I was a big fan of the chicken schnitzel. Yeah, and uh, you know if that's one that's going to draw me back in, and uh, that sounds delicious. It's I would very eat good. all of that, and it's then I'd good. look for a little bit more. No, then you'd probably look for a bit of eggplant. Oh yeah. Have you had eggplant? Do you do yeah. eggplant schnitzel? I know yeah. I've seen people do that. That's, yeah. that's the vegetarian. Is that the vegetarian's version of it, of a? Chicken schnitzel or veal schnitzel? I don't want to speak for everyone who's tired and listening, but uh, yeah, I think that is. I think that is the way to go. But it's quite delicious. Mez, you and I got in an argument about schnitzels the other day on the show. That's how pathetic this show is. <laughs> Hang on, what is this? What is this happened, an ongoing storyline? Oh, this is part two of the ongoing schnitzel, schnitzel argument. Gate. Like I did walk past your planning board and saw that you've got five weeks worth of schnitzel uh, <laughs> yeah, story yeah, to go. Yeah. Um, no, we got in an argument because you. And Hammer, you can be the deciding vote, or you know, oh. one, two, or three, five, three, if you want to call up and have your say and what should go on top of schnitzels. Merrick thinks that you can put bacon on top of schnitzels in a palmy and call it a palmy. Oh, right. Yeah, you can't, mate. You can put that's bacon. Not a mate, you can put bacon in anything. I know you can, but you shouldn't. You know, that's what, not a palmy. You, you know, you know, you can put bacon in freedom. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's you. You could, okay. but it's already been done. Walk me through that. How does that work? <laughs> you put bacon. You yep. put, right. You get some uh, just regular bacon. Yeah. Rasher bacon, you can either fry it or you grill it, yeah. and then you just put it in freedom. Okay. Yeah. You just give it to someone who's walking around who uh, it's freedom. is allowed to walk around and not go into jail. It's freedom. There you go. You know who you can't give bacon to? <laughs> yeah. ISIS. Right. You can't. So They're I mean, completely against that. it. And what are they? They're the opposite of freedom. So therefore, Mate. I've just proven my point, Liam, yeah. that well, you can give bacon to freedom. Enough. Get some bacon, cook it, go into freedom, put it on a lounge chair, <laughs> walk out. It's ready to go. <laughs> And as that sofa <laughs> slowly soaks up all of the fat. You'll say, well, that's a, that's a good well, buy. Well, Merrick was right. Yeah. I'm yeah. leaving now. They go, we'd like you to pay for that, please. <laughs> um, so if you if you are making a schnitzel, what do you mm. like in a schnitzel, Hamo? Uh, you know what? I like to keep it uh, pretty simple, to be honest. If I was to have a chicken schnitzel, because we're mm. talking meat, I, mm. I get the, uh, the chicken, mm. I crumb it. 
Uh, I like having the tomato sauce on it, and I like to put so much cheese on it yeah. that at some mm-hmm. point, uh, yeah. usually about the two thirds mark, my heart stops for five seconds before yeah. it kicks back in. <laughs> See, I can. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very accommodating with the schnitzel. I also too like uh, cardiac arrest with yeah. the schnitzel. Yeah. Um, but I, I like cheese with it. I yeah. like your, I like your parmigiana. Yeah. Um, Do you like I, chips with it? Do you like oh, to be able yeah. to get a chip and put it on top and put it on top of the schnitzel and put it all in your gob at once? What about when they give you chips and and you just go, oh, God, oh how are we not in a relationship? Yes. I can do gravy. I can do mushroom sauce. Oh, I'm mad for the mushroom sauce. Lemon. I can do it all. Man, so mushroom when, sauce on the cheese. Is, oh, yeah. Oh, mushroom God. sauce on the cheese. When is that? When is that? See, they don't have that in Syria. Yeah, so that's also on my Tinder profile. Are you going to invite... <laughs> G'day, ladies. You've got cheese on your mushroom? <laughs> what? On your Tinder profile? No, I think it was they Are don't. Are you struggling to meet ladies when you've got cheese, melted cheese dripping from your mushroom? Oh, There's again, a distinct again, possibility. Now, that presum- presum- presumably, not everyone's invited <laughs> to, to the Watts household mm, for mm, um, schnitzel night. Mm, mm. Are they? So w- where should we be going if we can't come to the Watts okay. house for schnitzel it's, night? It, we've, we've just done a little bit of research today. Ooh. Well, when I say we, somebody else has. Um, <laughs> Many. The, the Unicorn Hotel in Paddington apparently has got a uh, dynamite... Um, uh, chicken schnitzel there. Uh, they get their chicken from a small family-run um, farm in Taralga, New South Wales. Uh, so that's free, free range, hormone-free. Yep. So apparently hormone they're quite free. good. I actually like my chickens to be chock full of hormones, though, just because you know, because oh, yeah. I'm lacking a few. So yeah, okay, yeah. okay, fair, cool. Uh, well, the Winston in yep. Winston Hills. Now this is a classic pub meal: uh, herb crumb breast chicken schnitzel. I oh, yum. Uh, oh, fries, salad, lemon, and aioli. But I just see that's just stacked on it. Look at, look Swallow, at, Merrick. Oh, Swallow. Oh, yeah. I, I don't blame him. Look me. at that photo. Like, that is a sweet-ass looking schnitzel. Isn't it? And it is just, <laughs> just like leaning the... on, a, on, a, on, a, on a raft of mashed potatoes like, on, on a sea of gravy. You know what it is? It's the Kardashian of schnitzels. Oh, mate. Which one? dirty and available. Oh, oh mate. Look, I've got... <laughs> So I'm not sure what we're asking for people to call in about. Hang on, what's that that one on the bottom? Yeah, what's that caper? Read that out. 21 Espresso in Double Bay. They're famous for their half and half veal and chicken schnitzel platter with a side of creamed spinach. Mm. Well, the spinach spinach are all right, okay, but they're half and half veal and chicken. What are they? Do they make the animals mate? Yes. Because that's part of the attraction, maybe, if they could get those two creatures to reproduce. That's exactly what's happened. Yeah. If not, if not, if they can find a way to stitch part of a veal <laughs> to a chicken yeah. and then turn it into a schnitzel, well played, I say, 21 espresso and double bow. For a moment, I thought that you got 21 espressos with the schnitzel and I thought, <laughs> man, much. I would love to be wide awake while I am chowing down as many as I can. Don't you also think that like a half and half a veal and chicken thing, that's not really double bay to me. That just, that's to me, that's more Mount Druitt. As, as <laughs> you know what I mean? Or a bit Panthers. Yeah, you know what it like is. That. You know, that's Western Sydney at its best. Mate, that, you that know what happened? It was stolen. discovered in Western Sydney. Yes. And then uh, double bay have thought, well, you know what? We can be ironic here and we can claim this. Yeah, 100%. So what, <laughs> what question did we decide? I don't, I don't know if we decided on what. I think it's just schnitzel, schnitzel talk. talk? Yeah. I'll do that. I'll take best schnitzels. <laughs> Recipes for schnitzels. Yeah. Best place to have one. You want to discuss that bacon's not welcome on top of a palmy. It's Isn't just it? not part of it. Look, yeah. Here's the thing. The phones have already gone nuts anyway, so mm. clearly people want to talk schnitzel. And, and we need a little song. We need we, we need people to ring and we'll, 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 let's uh, get schnitty with it. Let's get oh, schnitty with it. Good. Oh, good. That's good. Yeah. Well, Hammer, you've got exactly two and a half minutes to go and record that and I'm, get it up for the next break. I'm ready to go. 
Discussing the big issues today, transgender football players later in this hour, but right now, schnitzels. Oh, yeah. So uh, we've decided, uh, Hamo, that we're doing schnitzel talk, and it has gone nuts. Uh, you can give us a call. I think tell us where's the best place to have a schnitzel. What's the best uh, best way to cook a schnitzel? Yeah, because it's schnitzel night in the what's household tonight. What, what's the best way to spoon with a schnitzel? Oh, you yeah. know, mm. sometimes it gets a bit cold at night. Mm. Can you leave a piece of schnitzel in the glove box of your car overnight and then still eat it the next day? Get schnitty with it. There we go. We only had a couple of minutes and yeah. I was still trying to listen to the cure was, and uh, we nailed it. I was stalling so Liam could put that together and <laughs> failed. No, I'm just going to say it was worth it. Okay. Yeah. Let's get to your calls. We've got Christian in Camden. Hello, mate. How are you, boys? Good, mate. What do you do with schnitzels? What do you like about schnitzel? Schnitzel talk. Schnitzel talk. Uh, two things quickly. With the uh, the leftover breadcrumbs and the egg, I put them together and make like a just a breadcrumb patty. So Hamo might like that. Oh man, Ooh. yeah, I do. That sounds delicious. Yeah. If you if you combine that with parmesan too, you've got your cheese in there, Hamo. That's a delight. Oh, oh yeah, you put it all in and yeah, you know, it's it pretty good. It's a poor man's arancini ball. I like it. <laughs> but, uh, I've been called this, that this often. Actually- Sorry, Sorry this, this one's a shout-out to uh, one of my mates, Ruth. This is his recipe. He yep. literally crushes up a bag of Doritos, and that's it. That's his crumbs through Snitty. That oh. is And amazing. he said it's the best Snitty he's ever eaten. Yep. A bag of Doritos, because I suppose they've already got cheese supreme in them, so I mean, it's not there like you, you can get any more cheese in there, unless, of course, you added cheese. Oh, Lord, that's what I would do. Crush up the, the, the cheese supreme Doritos, Add some cheese and then put in a little bit of parmesan and then call the ambulance to pick you up in about 35 minutes. <laughs> so he's cooking He's cooking the Doritos uh, as breadcrumbs. So they're actually, he's frying them off. They're double fried. That is so tasty. Bake, and it, says, you... it says on the bag, I think, bake, baked, not fried. Well, you are fried now, mate. Yeah. <laughs> mouth as long as you don't use the Doritos that turn your mouth blue. Oh, Remember yeah. they brought out those novelty no, Doritos? No, weren't they? Oh. Was it Twisties? It was Twisties. Oh, was that Twisties, that, was yeah, it? Yeah, it was not. It oh, well, don't Doritos, use Twisties. Don't use Twisties. Yeah, put but them you in could, a sandwich with a bread, bit of bread and butter. This is what you do. You, you you crush up some cheese supreme Doritos, and then you put on some cheese, and you throw in some Parmesan, and then you top it off with some cheese Twisties. <laughs> see, there you go. Right. Giving people ideas. I'm starting to see through time with excitement. I think we need to make Hammer a doctor's appointment. I'm worried about his cholesterol. Yeah. Sorry, but it's vegetarian. He's got to worry about cholesterol. That's Have you incredible. heard how much cheese he eats? Yeah. He's enjoying it. Leave it. Don't judge him. I'm right here, guys. I, uh... <laughs> Dave in Glenmore Park. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good. We get schnitty with it out at Penrith. Uh, we go what, to, uh, what do you do? MG, MG's local at the Pioneer Tavern. Yep. Yeah, we're in the Schnitty Committee. You know, you like your oh. loyalty card for coffee. Yes. Every night, every night, Schnitty's free. Oh, yeah. They're, they're pretty sure they've got 21 varieties, and you can get three different sizes. Oh, uh, what's your what's your yeah. uh, go-to Schnitty? Uh, my favourite, which I tried a couple of weeks ago, was the Hawaiian. It's uh, pineapple, bacon, and uh, mozzarella cheese. Yep. Okay, I would never have guessed that one if you'd left it to my own devices to think of that, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I would, I would have had here for days. I would, have, I would be going. I don't know. Is it, is it a volcano? No. Uh, so well, that's what other varieties have they got there, Dave? Oh, they got like a bolognese and stuff. But we've tried a few. But why we go? We can. Uh, we, there's the three sizes. We can order a jumbo, mm. which comes with two great big schnitzels. And uh, you just ask for a second plate, and the missus flips off the second one onto her plate and gives you some of your tips. There you and go. Off you go. Oh, mate, yeah. that there sounds like go. the perfect marriage. Uh, is there a, is there a schnitty that you've tried that you've just said, you know what, this is this is too schnitty. This is this is uh, too much for me. 
I, I did try to get through the jumbo. That was that was that was probably my limit. Limit. <laughs> How funny is it? I do this all the time, Dave. Because with schnitzels, it's one of those foods that I'm like a Labrador with. I don't know when to stop, so I just keep eating them <laughs> yeah. and eating them and eat them. And I always in my house, we always make so much that we've got leftovers. Put them in the kids' sambos for the next day. Yeah, you know, so they're always around. But like, I, I'll just keep eating it, and I don't know when to stop. And if I'm ever going to have a blowout, it's with schnitzels. <laughs> That's awesome. So don't don't worry. Jumbo night is every Wednesday night. Yeah. Well, Mez, I found something I reckon you'd give a crack. The Austrian Schnitzel House. There's one in Erinner and uh, in Neutral Bay. Mm. Their challenge is right, hang mate, on. What, you, what, what happened then? I just salivated. I just yeah. <laughs> it's Pavlovian a one, response, one kilo schnitzel with chips and a sauce of your choice and a liter of beer. Now, if you beat the fastest time, you get it for free. Oh, the fastest so, time is one hour and 15 fastest minutes. Fastest time, six and a half minutes. Six and oh. a half minutes? What? <laughs> For a one kilo schnitzel and a litre of beer. Is that, it must be veal. It must be, be veal schnitzel? No, because they'd whack the bejeez out of it. with. Oh, I, wow. wonder, I wonder if they, uh, you know, you wouldn't let anyone from Nimbin come in and uh, do that, do you? Because I no. reckon they could crack that six minute mark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, vegetarian though. Oh, well, that yeah. is true. Well, yeah, they're like the greens. <laughs> Here comes the money. Sorry, I think you've forgotten the bit where you give me some money. Because someone has to pay Merrick's salary. Here's a word from our sponsor. The following is an official announcement from the Australian Government. Over the past few years, thought crime has reached record levels. Subversion is rife. Our enemies are everywhere. Trust no one. Luckily, there is an answer. Peter Dutton. No, not Peter Dutton. Thank God. Introducing a new series on Podcast One that interrogates the real threats to Australia, like John Safran, Rob Sitch, and children's author Andy Griffiths. Oh, could I love those treehouse books? Who will survive? Who will fail? Introducing Extreme Vetting with The Chaser. The Chaser. The only show with the power of life and death over its guests. Listen at podcast1.com.au or via the Podcast One app. And a young woman called Hannah Mouncey uh, has been knocked back uh, as a transgender footballer uh, for her nomination in today's AFL Women's Draft. Uh, the AFL said that uh, Mouncey's physical disparity was significant and that would give her an unreasonable advantage when competing in the AFLW. So yep. the women's league, which is only in its first year, yeah, um, and they said she's you know she's 190 centimeters tall, right, and weighs 100 kilograms, male or female, that's a big unit, yeah, mm. right. And if you're playing any sport and somebody of that size, there, that's a, that's a size of a human that you need to be aware of, right, and recognise. Anyway, uh, she's been playing football for Ainsley in the AFL uh, AFL's Canberra women's competition, and uh, she's done quite well there. Um, but there is a lot of discussion about whether or not she should be allowed to play at what level and at what time, right? As part of her transition from a male to a female, a part of that process is ongoing. It's not something that happens overnight, of course. Right. So some of the discussion has been about when, when that should happen. Now there's a, a, a trans, uh, gender, um, advocate and, uh, a woman called Kate McGregor. I've got an enormous amount of respect for was formerly in the armed forces. And I watched some vision of her talking about it today Yeah, and she's very articulate. And she said, look, you know, Hannah's journey is only part of the way there. Right. And at some stage, her physicality will change, which may allow her to do it. But obviously people are intimidated by somebody of a hundred kilograms in an AFL women's comp. 
Right. What are, your, what are your thoughts, Hammer? I mean, I know that you're certainly very supportive of the transgender community. Yeah. Look, it is a, it is an odd one. You know, uh, I, I, well, there's two things. One is, uh, you know, you don't take into account that the process is ongoing. I think mm. uh, we, we're a little bit too black and white with these things where we think, yep. oh, they've transitioned. They were once uh, a man and now they're a woman or vice versa. Yep. And they think it's just done. But it, it is a bit of a journey. So I can... So there's a part of me that understands where maybe the AFL is saying she's not quite in that position yet. But on the other hand, you know, uh, I'm just going to say it. Like, I, I know she's a big unit, but sport's full of big units. And, mm. you know, like, like mm. I'm, I'm a short ass and I used to play basketball. I was terrified of every guy that I was coming up mm. against. And you, you didn't other stop other people from playing because they were bigger. Mm. So, and I also think maybe... You know, the, the women who play in the uh, in the Women's AFL League uh, are amazing. I'm a big fan of Erin Phillips. I yep, loved her yep. when she played basketball. She plays for the Adelaide Crows. She's... I'm a paid member of, of one of the AFL women's teams. Colin right. Team. Well, they're all fantastic anyway. I feel like it. I just think it would be another challenge. Well, listen, we'll talk about challenges. I mean, not only has she got the challenges of playing, but also to her team would have challenges. And we've got her coach from her uh, from her team uh, on the line now. Chris Rourke joins us. G'day, Chris. How are you, mate? Good, thanks, Merrick. Yourself? Good, mate. Let's talk about some of these challenges that uh, Hannah's faced, and we'll get your opinion on whether or not Hannah Mounty should uh, be able to play at that uh, higher level. Yep. Yeah, I think, uh, look, I'm, I'm a big advocate. I think uh, she's been uh, allowed to play in the local competition. Um, yet, I heard you speaking before, and she is a big unit, but um, she's not the most mobile unit, you know, going around either. So um, there's got to be a fair bit taken to it, and, you know, she played here for a year and she certainly hasn't caused any damage in our league. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. And how have the, the other women in her team embraced Hannah and also to, you know, the uh, the competition, you know, the other teams? How how do they feel feel when they, you know, they take the field and they see somebody of her stature on the ground? Uh, look, our girls really embraced it once she was given the all key to play. I mean, uh, they took her in and the whole club supported her and, uh, you know, they were happy to run out with her. The opposition certainly, uh, certainly the supporters were more uh, had more to say than uh, than the players. Um, women's footy up here. I mean, most of the women that play are pretty fearless anyway. But uh, you know, it's it's like that big kid that plays in the under 13s when he runs out and everyone says, "Oh, he shouldn't be playing," yeah. and all the parents worry. But the kids. They don't have any problem. They just run in and get the ball, and away they went. So it was more about the people watching, and and then after a while, they, they didn't even worry them because it was just uh, you know they didn't they saw that she didn't do you know she's not a wrecking ball. She just goes out and yeah, she played some good games and she played some not so good games. Yeah, and Chris, I'm uh, I'm, I'm really curious uh, from your perspective, what's been uh, the biggest lesson that you've uh, had to learn in uh, from a coaching point of view? Oh. Geez, that's a, that's I haven't been asked that one today, and I've been asked a lot of questions. I'm spewing. Um, that was going to be my next question. Literally, I gave a <laughs> thumbs up to Hammer. I was going, that's such a good question. Gee, um, look, you don't really learn much because you just treated the same as you treat everybody else. I mean, she came in, and the only difference was she, you know, we had to get her a massive jumper and a bigger pair of shorts. But um, <laughs> basically, uh, basically, she came in and did what everybody else did. I mean, she uh, she trained hard. But you know, as I keep saying to the other, you know, I'm not quite sure what the AFL are so frightened of. There's some big girls running around in the in the uh, AFL Women's League who oh, are, yeah. you know, they're, they're just really good sportsmen. And when we all have to cope, and uh, I, th- I think it's just been a little bit overblown. I don't know whether the, the people have actually made the judgment of seen a play. 
Okay. What about criticism on the field, Chris? Hannah runs out on the ground. Uh, we know that sport is rife with sledging. It, it, you would imagine that she would have to be aware of the potential for, uh, you know, transphobic comments on the field. Has that been an issue? How has she handled it? Um, there was no, it didn't seem to be any, uh, we didn't get any, you know, feedback from uh, from Hannah herself. She she didn't seem to be sledged by anybody. I mean, some people made a sledge about her size, but not actually her transgender. So uh, I, I think we're a little bit more advanced than a lot of people think. You know, today we, we kind of are more accepting of, uh, you know, other people's uh, strengths and weaknesses. Well, Chris, it's, uh, I mean, I wish you the very, very best of luck. I, I don't have a problem with it myself. And I think it's, you know, if the players all voted to say, look, you know, we don't think Hannah should be able to play at this stage, then, yeah, definitely, I think you'd have to address the issue. But it seems like it's a, a bit of a non-issue in some parts. Well, you know, it's, it's a bit like getting your driver's license. We can drive our cars here at 17, but you go to Melbourne, you can't. But, uh, you no, know, no, Chris, I reckon it's more like being it. a transgender footballer. But I mean, uh, <laughs> well, I, I don't know, I don't know how you get your license in Canberra, but it um, <laughs> seems, seems like you have to jump through a few more hoops. Than hey, Mez, before we let Chris go, I do believe, Chris, your granddaughters are listeners of Merrickville. They love Merrick, yes. Anna and uh, Willow Coates up there in the minor uh, uh, listening intently and hoping that their pop's not too embarrassing. Oh, uh, no. Pop's pop, nailing it. Pop has done a great job, except yeah. for that driving analogy. God, if, he, <laughs> if he'd gone out a minute before that, God, kids, you'd have something to be proud of. But anyway, it didn't work out that way. Chris Rourke, uh, Hannah Mounts, his coach, you're a gentleman, and I think it's great to see people like yourself supporting Hannah's uh, journey. Good on you, mate. Thanks very much. Enjoy your show. Good on you, mate. Cheers. I want to know now, I want triple three five three. what's your opinion on this? You know, lots of parents have got uh, kids playing local sport. And, and as Chris pointed out, you know, sometimes you can, particularly in rugby league, you can mm. see some kids, some Islander kids are just huge units. Yeah. And they play in, um, you know, junior sport and they've uh, advanced development. And some parents have a problem with that, but they're entitled to play the game. That's yeah. What, that's what the game is. Want well, to know what your thoughts are? One triple three five three. If you uh, if you've got an opinion about Hannah Mouncey playing uh, AFL women sport, what do you think? Taking a couple of quick calls on what your thoughts are on uh, transgender player uh, Hannah Mouncey and whether or not she should be able to play in the uh, AFL Women's League. We've got to keep it pretty tight because, uh, in all seriousness, just after five, I'll be speaking to the Prime Minister. And when I say the Prime Minister, I actually mean Malcolm Turnbull, not Lawrence Mooney. Right. We'll be having a chat to him in just about five or ten minutes' time. Uh, so we'll get to some calls very quickly. Matt in Hornsby, what are your thoughts, mate? Hey, buddy, how you doing? Well, you covered it a bit earlier on where you said that uh, everyone is, um, the male and female have different bodies. Well, the main thing is that males will always have a much higher muscle density than females, sure. even if they do go through estrogen training. So I believe in the interest of keeping it fair, rather than allowing Hannah to uh, compete in a female grade, I would suggest a transgender grade. Mate, that's not the most ridiculous thing I've heard as an argument for it. You are right about muscle density, but... Uh, it would be great if there was a transgender, right. enough, particularly if there was enough numbers. Matt, I'll take that on board. Thank you very much for your call. Thanks for being part of it. Chrissy, hello. Hello. Uh, what are your thoughts on Hannah Mouncey being able to play AFL women's? I think she should be able to play. I think regardless of her, if she's transgender or whatever it is, I think she'll be able to play. I've played soccer and I was discriminated against because I was too small. So I'm thinking if she can't play because she's too big, I mm. played against girls who are massive and aren't transgender. So we're going to go into mm-hmm. league that is going to be saying that men and women who are smaller than 
like smaller and build, yeah. they can't play as well. Well, it's uh, you know these uh, the, the women in the AFL league, they're great athletes already. So yep. isn't it they just are. a new challenge? So I think it is a new challenge. I think just because she's bigger, I mean, right, may as well she may as well play because I think she should be great at playing because it gives them a an I like a different um, challenge. So you're tackling yeah. people yep. bigger, not just. Smaller people well, gives them. Here's the other yeah. thing as well. If uh, if a, a woman transitions to be a man and that man wants to play AFL, are we not going to let them play because they have lower muscle density? Mm. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like if they're yeah. good enough to play, yeah, yeah. they should be allowed to play. Absolutely. I'd like to play netball, but um, I don't know how to play the game. I don't know the rules. I don't follow it and I know nothing about it. Um, I should, that shouldn't, uh, and I can't play it and mm. I'm not very good at sport. But that shouldn't stop me from playing at the highest level in Australia. Right. Justin Hamilton, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll be speaking to the Prime Minister in just a couple of minutes. Well, Sydney, very special treat very shortly. I'm going to be speaking to the Prime Minister of Australia, Malcolm Turnbull. And I know you're going, yeah, of course you will, man. No, really. For, for proper reels. For proper reels. I'm going to find out what's going on with the energy crisis and particularly how it affects you as bill payers in the city. You've heard me bang on about it enough. Well, mm. we're actually going to get some answers today from the Real Dead Set PM. But first. But first, to celebrate the release of the new Gran Turismo Sport today, we are giving away a PS4 console and new Gran Turismo Sport game for the best caller. Today's topic on 13353, when, when has a car driven you? I'll just give you a quick example. One time I was going down a very steep hill in an old Ford XB and then all of a sudden the engine cut out and the power steering died <laughs> and the power assisted brakes died and I was essentially driving the Titanic down a hill. And I went, I'm not driving this car anymore. This car's driving me. When has a car driven you? One triple three five three. give us a call. Here comes the money. Sorry, I think you've forgotten the bit where you give me some money. Because someone has to pay Merrick's salary. Here's a word from our sponsor. G'day, Mark Howard here. A year ago, I started the Howie Games podcast, which has given me a fantastic opportunity to chat with some of the biggest names in world sport. The Howie Games aims to bring you stories you haven't heard before, like this one from Melbourne Cup winning jockey, Jim the Pumper Cassidy. I got I got the grey nurses, the hundred dollar bills. Oh, the big hundreds. Cha- changed into twenties. <laughs> so and me, and me mate said, What are you doing that for? I said, I'll show you. So we got back to the hotel room, pumped, took all his gear off, got the Melbourne Cup whip, tipped all the money on the bed. <laughs> and for one hour I was literally just rolling in cash. <laughs> you can listen to the Howie Games at podcastone.com.au or via the Podcast One app. Giving you the chance to win a brand new Gran Turismo Sport available exclusively on PS4 and a console. Uh, we've got um, Adam in Wentworthville on the line. Adam, a question I'm asking to win this is when has a car driven you? I was six years old when a car drove me. Oh, <laughs> that's not good. Okay, That doesn't sound right, but uh, it was into the side of the house, into the side of my parents' house. Okay. I was sick. Okay. Were you in the driver's seat, Adam? I was, yes. Okay. Were you, were you pretending to be dad? Uh, no, I was actually trying to get some lollies out of the car and I saw the handbrake. I thought, I wonder what this does. Oh, uh, and uh, car into side of house. Okay. You know what the handbrake does? <laughs> it causes insurance claims is what that does. Apparently so. It causes Adam to get in a lot of trouble with the parents. That's what it does. Yeah, mate. I did the same thing. I was about five and I got into my dad's car and I put it into reverse. I started it and put it in reverse and tore the door off. So was, nice work. Yeah, I was not. I was <laughs> not my. That. I was not my father's favourite son, uh, and there's only two of us. So fifty fifty is not bad. <laughs> Had nothing to do with the car, miss. Yeah, thank you. Oh. Uh, stay on the line there, Adam. Yeah. We've got Marty in North Rocks. Hello, Marty. 
How you going, guys? Very good, mate. When has a car driven you? I was working on a uh, little Fiat race car in a garage years ago. The garage was at the back of the house up a hill, and uh, it was in neutral. I wasn't paying attention. I turned around, and it was sort of starting to make its way out of the garage and down towards the house and the air conditioning unit. It was uh, by this time dragging me down the driveway, but I've, I've yelled out to the neighbours, oh, Lord, please uh, freaking help me, and then it's... Uh, it's managed to turn away from the house and into the Caliban fence between uh, my house and the neighbours. Oh, so, oh. Well, did you say a little Fiat? What, like a little 124 or something like that? Uh, it was a 500, actually. A little yeah. Fiat 500. Well, that's essentially a Dodgem car that's allowed <laughs> on the roads, Marty. Yeah, I've heard them all before, mate. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at least I can tease you, Marty. And for that, I'm going yeah. to make you the winner. Ah, because I've, enjoy, I've enjoyed teasing you, and any bloke who races a Fiat <laughs> is a bloke who ah. needs to understand the rules of Gran Turismo. Yes, no, that is me. You've got me pegged. All right, mate. Good on awesome. you. Con- congratulations. Gran Turismo Sport available exclusively on PS4. That PS4 console on Gran Turismo Sport game is probably more of a car than Marty's actual Fiat, man. That's, that's why I made him the winner. <laughs> I thought that was pretty evident in the way I was criticising his choice of vehicle. What's coming up next, Merrick? The Prime Minister of Australia is on the show to explain to you how he's going to make your electricity and gas bills cheaper. Sydney, I talk a lot about the frustrations of average Australians struggling to pay their energy bills. It's a delicate balance to increase energy production, lower energy prices and still meet emissions reduction targets. And as my dad used to say, cheap, fast, good. You can only have two of the three. You can have cheap and fast, but it won't be good. You can have good and fast, but it won't be cheap. It seems like an impossible task, and ultimately the man who has to find the solution for this is the Prime Minister, and he joins me on the line now. Prime Minister, welcome, and thank you for being on the show. Hey, Merrick, it's great to be with you. Well, you know, what we've got with the National Energy Guarantee is a plan that will deliver energy that is affordable, that it's cheaper than it otherwise would be. We'll see wholesale prices coming down. That's going to be reliable, keep the lights on, and, of course, it will enable us to meet our Paris emission reduction cuts. So affordability, reliability, responsibility. That's, what, that's the trifecta. And uh, we've got a great plan to deliver mm. that. It is. Look, it's definitely a, a juggling act, Prime Minister. Has this been one of the biggest challenges in your leadership so far? Well, it's one of the biggest challenges for every government everywhere in the world. Uh, and Audrey Zebelman, the uh, the chief executive of the Australian Energy Market Operator, who came to Australia uh, from uh, New York, in fact, where she'd been doing the same sort of role. She made the point that everyone's struggling with this because our energy system is in transition. We're going from big, centralised, generally coal-fired generators to much more, dis- much more of a distributed system, a lot more uh, intermittent renewables like wind and solar, a lot more people generating power themselves with you know, solar panels and their roofs and now batteries. It's much more complex, Merrick. Mm. And so you need to have a different approach. And you've got to have one that has a level playing field that's based on engineering and economics. As I always say, get the politics and the ideology out of it. It's been a disaster for the energy system. It's... So this is a game changer. This policy is backed by the smartest minds in the industry. It's not. I, I didn't write it. It's come to us from the Energy Security Board. No, I'm just saying, I'm, you yeah. know, I mean, look, politicians, you know, write a lot of policies. We went to the smartest people to get their advice, the Energy Security Board. These, these five people uh, are the smartest brains in the industry. They're the regulators, the operators. They understand it. 
and they've come back and said, this is the way you can meet that triple bottom line. How do you feel, Prime Minister, about people like myself who are considering about going off the grid entirely, who have become so frustrated by being leveraged by uh, major power companies? Yeah. And it's almost extortionist. We feel as though we've, we've had enough and we are considering going off the grid, as it were. How do you feel about Australians doing that? Do you think it's, it should be encouraged or well, do you think we just need to be patient? Well, Merrick, I think that you will see more people becoming more and more independent. I mean, you've got the combination of... Uh, uh, solar energy is getting cheaper and cheaper. Uh, solar panels are becoming more efficient. Batteries are getting cheaper. And so you will find people, you know, in effect providing most of their own electricity themselves behind the meter. Now, of course, uh, the sun doesn't always shine. This is the thing. And how big is your battery? Can you really afford to be off the grid? Uh, so that's going to be the challenge. I think we need to also recognise that not everyone can afford to have solar panels on mm -hmm. their roof. Mm -hmm. So you've got to have an energy system that is affordable. It's got to be affordable for every household, you know, whether they've got lots of solar panels and they're, they're well off or whether they're really battling to pay the bills. So, you know, I, I'm focused on, on delivering the best outcome for Australian families, affordable energy. That's what we need. And, that's, and this, this is a big part of it. But, you know, look what we've done with retail bills. There are, there are hundreds of your listeners who will have got a better deal from their energy retailer because of the initiative we took. You know, that's uh, Josh Frydenberg and yes. I, the energy minister and I. We yes. took with the retailers. They went out, told people who weren't on the right plan that they should change. We've got the Energy Made Easy uh, website. I'd encourage people to have a look at that, see if you're on the right plan, ask your retailer for a better deal. You might save three or $400 a year. And then, of course, you know what we've done with the gas prices. We know we've brought the wholesale gas price down again because we made sure there was, there was enough supply in the East, and East Coast market. Mm. So there's a lot of things that affect your energy bill. You know, you've got one big number and big black ink in your energy bill. There's a lot of things that go into it. And we're focusing on every avenue we can, Merrick, to ensure that people have more affordable electricity and energy and, of course, that it's reliable and we don't have the problems they had in South Australia with blackouts constantly. Well, moving into a very high usage period of the year as well, with some, yep. a lot of people having air conditioning on. I know there's been some discussion sure. uh, with the new government about offering incentives for people to maybe reduce the amount of power that they're using. And I think one of the suggestions, Prime Minister, if I'm not mistaken, was actually movie tickets. Can I ask you this? When was the last opportunity you had to go out and enjoy yourself at the movies? Well, it was a long time ago. You know, I, <laughs> it's I, been a long uh, time between I, chop you know, tops, hasn't I, it? I, the last, um, the last uh, movie I recall going to actually was the last of the Hobbit movies with Daisy. So, oh, you are kidding me? Yeah, yeah, it's a while ago, isn't it? A couple oh of years ago. Oh my God, you wouldn't but have it, me in but politics. It is, um, but I, I do, um, I, I do. You know, I watch like everyone. I'm a, I, you know, watch a lot of. Uh, you like uh, Netflix and chill? Television on. Yeah, net Netflix. <laughs> Netflix. Yes, Netflix and chill. That's right. We're, we're all, we're all uh, whatever, whatever that means. Yes, uh, yes. But, um, no, but I do, um, you know, I'm a you know, Game of Thrones fan and, uh, and you know, really the, the uh, amount of video that's streamed on the internet, it's completely, it's completely transformed the way people watch television, the, people, the way people watch 
video entertainment, mm. and mm. Uh, it's uh, you know it's it's very liberating, in fact. Um, and just finally, Prime Minister, whilst I've got you here, I'm sure that you may have heard of a man called Lawrence Mooney who does an incredible impersonation <laughs> of you. There is literally tens of thousands of people listening right now, Prime Minister, who believe that I'm speaking to Lawrence Mooney. <laughs> is that right? Well, he does. Yes. Is that right? Well, he's. Well, I hope I'm doing a reasonable <laughs> Lawrence Mooney impersonation, but. <laughs> I was almost going to ask you to give me your best Lawrence Mooney impersonation, but I think you've done a fairly good job. Prime Minister, thank you very much for taking time today to speak to me and to speak to my listeners to explain what the government is attempting to do to lower energy costs in this country because it just, for a lot of Australians, being the biggest energy producer, certainly in our region, if not the world, it seems really difficult that we're paying such exorbitant uh, power bills at the moment. So I do appreciate your time. That's great, Merrick. We're on the case, and can I tell you, there's been failures of policy for years, but that's come, that's come to an end. Engineering and economics delivering affordable and reliable power for all Australians. That's Ooh. my commitment. Oh, that's a good catchphrase too, Prime Minister. I like that a lot. <laughs> OK. <laughs> Take care. Have a all good right, day. Merrick. Thanks a lot. Thank you. My next guest is Rob Langdon. Rob served in the Australian Army for 15 years before becoming a security contractor working in Iraq and Afghanistan. In June 2009, Rob was protecting a vulnerable convoy in Kabul, when the convoy mysteriously came to a halt, he asked an Afghan security guy to get them out of the Taliban's range and get them moving. The contractor pulled his gun and Rob shot and killed him in self-defence. An Afghan court refused to hear any evidence and Rob was sentenced to death. This was later commuted to 20 years in jail and served his time in Polycharki Prison, allegedly the world's worst prison to be a Westerner. Rob was there for seven years, the longest sentence served by a Westerner since the fall of the Taliban and he joins me in the studios now. Rob, how the shit did you get yourself in a prison in Afghanistan? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. You know a few military guys. You know our attitude the Australian Army guys have. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, while it wasn't the best company to work for, I did form some relationships with the young Americans that I trained up. And the, I'd left the company the day before. Now, the two guys who were on that convoy, were um, they rang me while I was doing other stuff in town and said they'd been attacked within Kabul, within the city limits. And at the time, the Taliban weren't coming into that province so much. They never, ever attacked inside the town. So when I went out there to have a look, and this is getting on dark, um, there was, well, where they got attacked, there was a police checkpoint right there, and the RPG round that had that was fired at them, the single round, had to go over the top of the checkpoint. Now, the police weren't that upset about that, so that started ringing alarm bells straight away. And there's a Afghan tradition, a rather new one of attacking. When you when you're working for a security company, you attack this, any convoys yourself, and tell the frightened foreigners to go home, and the big brave Afghans will look after everything, and then they use the convoy because essentially the convoys are under military U.S. military protection. Mm. They use it to move whatever contraband they want around the country. Okay. And uh, this is done usually with the knowledge of most people in the government. Yeah. It just yeah. It's just endemic. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of the most corrupt places in the world. So. so, Rob, would you say the reason why you ended up serving seven years in a prison in Afghanistan is because, generally, just because of corruption within the country? Generally, yeah. Um, there's a few other, there's, there's cultural factors as well. Um, basically, Afghanistan, in my opinion, is a place. It's not really a country. It's so tribal and mm. ethnic ethnic divides within there, in the, the borders itself are... Uh, it's incredible that it's actually it functions on any level. Every, the way it functions now is how it's always functioned. I mean, I mean they've been there for thousands of years, and yep. you take away, 
you take away the, the Hiluxes, you take away the AK-47s, you take away their mobile phones, and it's the same place that yep. Kipling went to, you know. It's, it goes that far back. It's, you know, everyone's gone there has come to the same conclusion. conclusion. It's like, yep. you know what, <laughs> let's just go home. <laughs> yeah, no matter what you do, it's yeah. just going to come back anyway. Yeah, it's, it's just how it is. It's like weeds, they grow back. But the thing is, you can't really blame them because... You know the place is tough, and yeah. people got to do do whatever they can to survive. I mean, they they, they do care about their families and stuff. It's just how they go about it. Yeah. Mate, um, we often see you know the the highlights, I suppose, or not the highlights, but the the newsreels uh, footage of Karabakan prison in Bali, and a lot of Australians yeah. will be familiar with that. And we see that, and we go, "Geez, that's horrifying." Yeah. How does that? I mean, a lot of Australians will be familiar with that footage, and we see that, and we go, "Too too tough, too rough." That's not like the prisons here. Yeah. How does somewhere? Like that compared to a prison in Afghanistan. Well, you probably go up another couple of levels. Because um, obviously, it, it, it depends on the section. Because the the first place I was I was actually, and if anyone googles this or whatever, they'll see the what we called the wagon wheel, the big ring, um, which was built by the Russians back in the day. And you know, it's you can see where you know none of them works in there. The electrical system's gone. They've pulled all the wires out and all the rest of it. Um, but you can see it worked at once upon a time, and and that. I mean, the section I was in at one point, uh, the police didn't go into at night. It was just too dangerous for them. So, yeah, it was a, a bit of a bit of an issue. Um, How do you, uh, what's your biggest threat in prison? Is it is it Afghani's? Is it other soldiers? What you know? When, what what are you looking over your shoulder for constantly when you're in a prison in Afghanistan? Initially, it was pretty much everybody. Um, but after after they sort of, uh, I went through a stage. Uh, you know, early of course it was pretty mind-boggling how to sort all this out and and then after the first death sentence it was like, um, but then once you sort of realize how it works and, you, and this is just a way of putting pressure on you you said okay and i got to a point where basically everyone i'd who'd told me to just keep my mouth shut and we'll sort it all out for you and they sort of left me in the lurch um i stopped feeling sorry for myself and just got really pissed off and that sort of helped and after a while when the afghans realized that um, indifference is not the same as fear. I got left alone because it wasn't in their best interest to sort of, unless there was a couple of them, which happened quite a few times. And they, I, the, the worst ones, I ended up with a broken rib and a um, bone broken in my foot somehow. That still gives me hassles to this day. But um, yeah, they eventually the, it got sorted out, and there was three of them on the floor, and that was it. Uh, after a while, I, <laughs> this is going to sound pretty weird to everybody. The only the only Afghans that treated me with any respect were the Taliban, because they got to hold themselves to a higher standard in there to show the Afghani people that even when they're in prison, they're, they're still better than the the government troops or the government, the police, and all the rest of it. But how are you in a prison with with Taliban? How's that? I mean, it's just how it works. And the it's thing just is, everyone thrown in. Yeah, pretty much. It's just a melting pot. Of yeah, and the, Afghan, uh, the, the Taliban make sure they have every they have someone in every block uh, in 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 the prison. Yeah, and that way they can control things because they're in con constant communication. Yeah, they're in constant communication with um, cell phones and stuff. Yeah. Um, when I went to the second place, which was specifically for them, uh, they were on one of the floors in the pl the block I was in. Um, they were essentially running operations from there, and they're sort of like, well. The, um, they had sat phones and everything up there. They had US dollars for bribing police. Um, and they said, and they said the, the Americans aren't going to bomb the jail. This is awesome. You know, so they they're better right. off being in there. They're yeah. safer in there. Yeah. And eventually Three hots and a cot. Yeah. And eventually, well, 
I wouldn't say three, maybe yeah. one if you're lucky. Um, but you, the difference is that they they were they had a routine. They cleaned their hallways. Everybody had jobs to do, and the rest of the place was just a shit fight. Um, but yeah, the the whole thing is it was some one or two of them actually knew me from outside. They they'd been uh, put in jail around the same time I was, but they'd been out fighting, and they knew me from being on the road, and they'd see me because of the tattoos and all the rest of it. Like, oh, yeah, we know who you are. And we know what you were doing for the Americans that, but it's cool. It's because in here we're all the same and we'll look after you. And it comes back. This Pashtun Wally, you, you probably would have heard yep. it from yeah. That predates Islam. It's an Afghani thing. Yep. And because the Taliban are essentially Pashtun, it's their big thing. So if you're a guest in their house, yep. they'd look after you, no yep. matter what. And you they can't said, refuse look, anybody, yeah. you can't turn them away yeah. and you can't betray And so them. they basically told everybody, Leave him alone. And it was it was okay after that until they left and then it, <laughs> then it got bad again. But um, yeah, they got let out, I think 2013. They said, okay, yeah, we won't fight anymore. Of course, they just went straight back on the tools. Of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, but one guy in particular I talked about in the book, um, Mufti Akimi, he, a Mufti is sort of like the second rank from the top. A sheik's the only one that's above it in uh, Wahhabi Islamic ranks. There's probably someone's going to ring up and say, no, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, that's how I, I was told it by them. And he spoke about seven Anglo languages fluently he had an awesome sense of humor um and was just an interesting guy to talk to about anything and he explained a lot of the things how it was supposed to work with especially with sheer law in that country um because essentially what's what i was prosecuted under was is a, a mishmash of shearer and a bastardized american western law thrown together yep ran by people who really don't know what they're doing because they've become a judge or a lawyer by paying somebody off to get a certificate. So they've got no clue. So it's part judicial, part, part tribal. It's, it's not really anything. It's how he feels on the day as far as I can, <laughs> I can see. <laughs> I mean, the first, the first court, I, I thought we were in someone's office having, having a yarn about what was going to happen because he, he didn't even bother to get dressed properly. He had no shoes on and shit. I was like, what's going on here? And then about an hour later, one of the police who actually spoke a bit of English, it lasted literally five, ten minutes, and one of the cops go, oh, no, Mishkil, Mishkil, oh, what a problem. He said, ah, cut, um, what was the word for it? I can't remember the word now. Basically, yeah, you're going to get hung. I'm like, oh, okay, that's not cool. Did you believe it, Rob, when they told you, when you, you know, because it was commuted down to 20 years and then you served mm. seven. Yeah. But when they said you're going to hang from a rope, and mm. the let's face it, the hanging situation there is not very good they, anyway. They're, they're not exactly clean not, kills. Yeah, it's not a science. No. Um, um, did you think that was fair income, or did you think, oh no, there is a chance I will get this commuted because you know it's a bit of a show of force, or did you think, no, mm. that's that's it? Once you get that. initially, initially there was initially I was in shock a bit, um, and I said, right, I just need to work through this because it was only the first court, and then after, and that was when I started really paying attention to what what was going on and talking to people about it. And again, it come back to the only one who never bullshitted me were the Taliban guys. They said, this is how it's going to work. Because they know this, because they get their guys out all the time, and they know how it's supposed to be done. And essentially, under Islamic Shira law, if you pay the Ibra, the, the blood money to the family, it's done and dusted. Um, basically, yeah, it's an eye for an eye, or you, yeah. you pay him off. So talking to the Taliban guys, they said, well, if you pay the Ibra, you're gone. That's it. If we were running the show, that's what would happen. We'd just send you, put you on a plane and send you off. So... You know, but with the way it is there, it's not the case. And again, there was no hearing of evidence at any point. The second, I think, second court, um, they made a half-hearted attempt to question me about things. Of why didn't you run away? It's like, 
you know, this is my job. I was supposed to look after the convoy. Is uh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you shoot him in the leg? I was, you know, it's just ridiculous. So what happened? Did he draw his weapon? Yeah, he did. He was. He... I'll go. I'll get back to that. So he, when I when I turned up with the convoy and I spoke to the two guys that were there, they said, "Yeah, look, he's just stopping the convoy and he's not letting them move. We have got to get going before it gets light." Because I'd made it an SOP within a, a operating procedure within the company to only move at night because you're in less fights. They tell the man don't operate at night. They go and sleep generally. Mm. So, yeah, you sort of want to avoid that stuff when you're moving the, literally the length of the country sometimes. So I basically said to this guy, he gets on the road because his job was to go out and make sure it's okay for the rest of the vehicles to come through. If he, if he went through and saw movement, saw tele working, he'd radio it in or phone it in and, and we'd pull back and just wait for him to, to get out of the way. Now, on a previous couple of previous occasions, I got tasked by the owner of the company to actually follow him when he went out on a mission, and he basically went home in Kabul. He never went out, so he, he was a liability anyway. We were going into stuff. I, I write about it in the book. I, I went into a, a pretty horrendous firefight that lasted for about four hours. Um, yeah, wasn't cool. Had a had a big night out that one. Um, still got home okay, but this dude, he he's. There's a thing with Middle Eastern cultures. If you give someone a pistol, they think they're a commander. It's it's a sign, a status symbol mm, with them, like the they daggers. Look, yeah, yeah, and and you wait, and they wave it around. They love yep. pulling it out because so, it's like, look, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. And he was putting it in the face of our interpreter and stuff. And it was, I mean, it was dark. It was pitch black, and I was the only one who had night vision goggles. That were, that were my own. And um, I'm watching this whole thing, and I go, oh, this idiot. And he got three goes. I said, look, go and tell him again. If he wants to leave, he leaves. But he's got to hand over his company ID and his weapons and just go back to Kabul. That's it. He's done. Third time, he does it. And I just write, that's it. I'm sort of pissed off by that stage. Got out of the vehicle, went over there and um, flipped the night vision goggles up on my helmet and reached in to grab him and just drag him out and give him a touch-up. And uh, his pistol was in my face. So I just stepped back and gave it to him. It's pure reflexes. Okay. Now, where do we go from here? And then going through his car with these suspect packages wrapped up in the back of the, the boot. And it's become a little bit obvious what was going on, why they didn't want anyone, any Westerners there. Because of the connections of this guy, the partic particular ethnic group and the warlord that was mm. basically the protectorate for the company, because that happens with every security company. It belongs essentially mm. to one of the warlords. It's how it's always been done. It's not going to change. I mean, even the government runs the same way. Yep. I mean, if you go back, you look at, um, what's his name? There's, there's several guys who fought against the fought against the Russians. And once the government came in, after the Americans turned up, they sort of become persona non grata for a bit until they actually side with someone else in the government. And that happened with um, quite a few of them. And again, most of the, a lot of the departments within the, the government itself, with the, the military and the police, are very tribal as well. See, mm. the the biggest problem is is the NDS essentially run by the Panjshiris, the secret police. That is, um, they are the predominant tribe in there, and they have links. They always go on about Masood and all the rest of it. And essentially, yeah, I don't know. They they use it to get a lot of leverage within the country because they know they're not going to ever run it because they're they're outnumbered mm. by the Pashtuns and other tribes. Yeah, they're the one. They they sort of always go how they always stood up to the Taliban, and when they, after they fought against the Russians. But 
talking to some of the older guys um, in there, the uh, the Taliban is the Mujahideen. It's the same people. Mm. It, it's it's yep. different names. Yep. Same thing. That's it. Can I ask you about that, Rob? Because you know you've got we kind of see a lot of our conflicts uh, umbrellaed under you know a, a whole lot of different monikers. So we've yep. got ISIS, ISIL. Yeah. IS, then we've got the Taliban, Al-Qaeda. Yeah. But how do you feel about those individual groups? And, and specifically after serving time in prison with the Taliban, how do you now feel about those men, well, those individuals? as individuals, I mean, like I said, I, I become friends with Hakimi. There's no two ways about it. And the year after he left, it, I rang him when he was in Pakistan on Eid. <laughs> he, he told me to, so I gave it a go. I didn't expect anything from him. But he was actually there and all like trying to work out trying to get it out of him where he was. And he's going, yeah, nah. Where so he's I, still an active member of the he's Taliban? Still, he's somewhere probably in Pakistan somewhere. Plotting, scheming. Yeah. He, he was he was that sort of guy. He was more of a planner than Is a it, facilitator. So Rob, you know, like in the old days, they used to have that kind of, that gentlemanly agreement uh, yeah. with pilots and warriors, yeah, you know, yeah. particularly with pilots in the Second World War. You know, if you shot a pilot down, then they get out of their plane. It was yeah. kind of like game over. And there was a bit of respect. There's yeah. There's a mutual understanding and mutual mm. respect. And that seems to have been lost in subsequent um, wars mm, and conflicts. Over time, they kind of that that sense of, um, I suppose, simpatico almost. Yeah, true. Um, so, has do, do you guys? We just see you guys as as Australian troops going to places like that. It's just single-minded. But do you have compassion? Do you have that kind of, you know, like the First World War where they used to go over the trenches and hand out smokes to each other? Was it? Yeah. Is it a glimmer of that? No, not not even close with that. Uh, the cultures are too too far apart, I think. Yeah. And the way they've been painted by over the last since this all started, I mean, people have got to realise that you know they may be uneducated by our standards, but they're they're actually pretty clever. They mm. they come up with all sorts of stuff that we wouldn't think of. And the fact that these dudes are, are running stuff within the jail while there are American mentors coming in there, like guys teaching them how to run a prison. And upstairs is these Taliban guys that they put in jail who have played the game, been nice, given a little bit of information up. So they've moved them to a, from the, the black sites in wherever back to Afghanistan and put them in, the, in Polacharki. And they're back running ops. And they're like, oh, it's good. I'll get time to heal up from all my bullet wounds and all the rest of it. And, and pretty soon we'll be back out. And they have this, they have this thing. I mean, probably, you've probably heard it before, but the, the Afghans always say to Westerners, uh, you may have the clocks. But we've got the time, yeah, and it's yeah. it's the case with that place. They, 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 yeah. they've, they've got it, mate. Uh, in your book, you've got a quote, and uh, I want, I'm going to read it out to you, and then yep. I'm going to ask you to do it. You say, "I was arrested on Thursday, the 9th of July, 2009. On Wednesday, I'd quit my job, killed a man, and set his body on fire. I was sentenced to death. I'm not a good man, but I'm an honest one. This is my story." Tell me how that comes about and how you can write about that. And obviously, you're not afraid to yeah, well, give the detail because some people might cross over I mean, it, it, yeah, I can't shy away from the facts. That's what happened. But it, there's, there's always circumstances around it. It's not like I set out to do that. You know, if, if, if he hadn't put his pistol in my face, I would have dragged him out by his head and punched the shit out of him. That yep. would have been the end of it. But that's not how it happened. And again, but, but uh, as soon as you've shot him, though, I mean, that's essentially what might be regarded by courts or by certainly by the military, maybe as a, as a clean kill. Exactly. But then the subsequent actions. The sub subsequent actions, which I discussed in the book, turns out because you've got a bunch of Muppets working underneath you. Again, I didn't use these guys. They weren't my, I had 
all the Afghans I used were Pashtuns and they came from a, a, another town. These were guys who came from Kabul and they were put upon us by this same warlord of the tribe that the Krim came from. Now, to go with that, there was a South African in jail for a while previous. I, I never met him. I, I do know who he is. Um, but he, And Kim also, my lawyer, she got him out as well. Now, his circumstances are pretty much identical with the shooting. Um, because his company supported him the whole way through and he essentially got paid while he was in jail, which is would have been nice after you, seven. You didn't get paid while you were in there? Oh, shit, no. <laughs> it would have been good. <laughs> Works out a couple. Uh, I think it was a 1.5 or something. Something ridiculous. Oh, anyway, um, he, he still got the same sentence. He still got uh, through the court case. It still went the same way. And then, then I say, but you've paid the Ibra, so you're going to get this amount of time. He ended up there. He was there two years and he was gone. You know, it's yeah. it's how the system, it's how, how the system, the right? Yeah. And they look at it, okay, we, if we keep scaring foreigners, because the way they see foreigners, we're, we're walking ATMs. We've got, oh, you've got money. You just get more money. It's not like that, mate. You know, it's not how it works. No, no, we just know, because the Americans give us money all the time. Yeah. You know, the, the place is a black hole when it comes to that. I just, because so many handouts have, have gone down range, it's, um, they just expect it. Yeah, and they just go, okay, we'll just up the ante and up the ante. I mean, the the Ibra payment was pretty substantial in the end, and that took a bit of pressure by friends of mine on the um, on these guys to actually pay it. But at the end of the day, the family, even though it was supposed to all go to the family, they got like probably ten percent. Mm. That's what was there when we were going. Kim mm. and I were going back through the court documents for that particular part of it. That was all that went downrange to them. And it was like, what? After all this, yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, were, <laughs> it's um, and again, you you can dress it's it up. Corruption, yeah, it is. It's 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 really bad. You know, I, I, one of the one of the Africans who was in there with me, there was a lot of Nigerian drug smugglers, and, that, and again, talking to them changed his perspective on a few things. There was guys amongst them who were um, there to pay off a student loan or buy a house or buy land or, you know, set up for what they wanted to do. So they're doing one run. But there was other guys in there who were professional smugglers. They were really interesting to talk to because most of them had done time somewhere else, uh, mainly Pakistan, and sort of got through the system and back out and back on, on the tools again. And one of them said to me, he goes, and he was a northern Nigerian, actual, he was actually a Muslim, and him and I got on pretty well. Um, great bloke, very funny. And he said, you know, you know in Africa, Nigeria is pretty corrupt. And you pay a lot of money to get, get stuff done for whatever reason. He said, but I've been a few places. He said, but Afghanistan, you pay you pay bribes here. And nothing gets done. You just keep paying bribes and bribes and bribes. Because, again, it's that, oh, you're a foreigner. you got money. Yeah. yeah. Mate, you've uh, written this book, The Seventh Circle. Yeah. About your time in an Afghan prison and your time serving there in Afghanistan. What are you doing now? Because uh, I know that a lot of... A lot of uh, Returned servicemen after doing time in Afghanistan or overseas anywhere, yeah, have an adjustment period, and it can be a difficult readjustment to civilian life. But I'm sure it's more complicated if you've done seven years of that in prison. What do you do? How do you readjust? Um, well, as I said in the book, I went to Thailand and got beaten up for a month. That sort of helped. Um, but I, I should just <laughs> clarify that was by a hooker. So that no, was, no, no, no. Okay, no, sorry. It was a toy. It was a, you know ladyboy thing is great um no yeah well i mean you only got to look at the amount of suicides that are happening now mm. uh, return servicemen across the board and i mean 
it's interesting because you even guys who have done a few trips you still go through that you know you come back and and your wife leaves you because you're not talking to her and you're sitting in a dark room by yourself and but when you're still in the military you got your mates and they are all all around you and they go yep no worries dude you know just chill and we'll take a bit of time off and we'll, we'll get you right but they're always there now if you leave the army holus bolus you don't have that anymore and the, the same things happen and these blokes are like you know what stuff this i've had enough bang done um yeah and, it, and it's happening too much i mean there's there's one of one of the guys used to work for me in the army he committed suicide uh last year and it was completely out of the blue no one even saw it coming you know it's a really bad state of affairs. I don't think anybody listening would think that for a second that there is enough being done to help repatriate Well, well here's, here's the thing. I mean, the current government sees fit to to spend millions of dollars on a on a vote for something that people just are going to just get it done for crying out loud. I mean, yep. seriously. Yep. Yet their soldiers still top yep. themselves up. They've gone away and done things that have been asked for them without question. Mate, you know? one of the great examples. I couldn't agree more. Yep. It just seems ridiculous. Yep. When you're spending money on something like that, that to you know, to most people just seems like a, a fait accompli. Mm. And then you've got blokes, like you say, who have done everything for their country, risked their lives, and then come back and take them. Yeah. No, it's not cool. Mate, your book, The Seventh Circle, is out now. Uh, it's a uh, very confronting but very honest story. And uh, I wish you all the best. And hopefully we'll see some uh, more literature from you. Are you a good writer? Yeah. Might do a colouring in book next or something. <laughs> Drawing your own tattoos, mate. You're halfway there. <laughs> Rob Langdon, it's been a pleasure, mate. Good on you. No worries. Thanks a lot. That was the Merrickville Catch-Up Podcast. Make sure you never miss a thing. Download the Merrickville Catch-Up from the Triple M app.